This week, Visa, the largest U.S. payment network, called off its $5 billion plus acquisition of Plaid, a fintech data platform. The reason? Regulators, including the U.S. Department of Justice, did not like the deal. Is this a sign of things to come? In this edition of Fintech Friday, Fintech draws global regulatory scrutiny as growth accelerates. I'm Silvio Tavares here in San Francisco on January 15th. This is Fintech Friday, brought to you by Cardlinks. It's great to be with you. It has been a bumpy week in fintech as one of the biggest deals in the industry was called off. Visa decided to terminate its planned $5 billion plus acquisition of Plaid, the fintech data company. The U.S. Department of Justice had sued to block the deal based on competition concerns. And numerous banks had actually sued Plaid, alleging improper use of financial data and intellectual property. And if you're keeping count, this marks the second fintech mega deal that's been blocked by regulators in just the last three months. China's Ant Financial Alipay had its IPO blocked by Chinese regulators in November, only to have the President of the United States issue an order blocking the mobile wallets use in the U.S. earlier this month. So it's fair to say that global fintech has now become a big target of regulatory scrutiny around the globe. On the show today, we go to Tokyo. Japan is the third largest economy in the world, and its two largest trading partners are the number one and two economies in the world, the U.S. and China. Both U.S. and China are among the most advanced fintech markets, and their regulators have been really busy in the fintech space. Both countries' regulators and technology heavily influence the fintech and payment sector in Japan as well. So in many ways, Japan is the perfect place to explore what happens next from a regulatory and growth perspective in the fintech industry. Our guest today is Lu Dong, the CEO and founder of Take Me Pay. Born in China, educated in the U.S. at Stanford and operating in Tokyo, Lu is an expert in fintech. He's led and founded one of Japan's most successful fintech startups, Take Me Pay. Good morning, Lu. How are you? Very good. Thank you, Silvio. You know, we're talking today about Asia and commerce in Asia, and 2020 had a lot of surprises. One of the biggest ones was that last-minute Chinese government suspension of the Ant Financial IPO. And now we're in 2021, and since that time, the Chinese government's announced new restrictions on Ant Financial and Alipay. What do you think these new restrictions mean for digital payments in China, but also even more broadly in countries uh, that trade a lot with China, like Japan? My best conclusion so far is that I think uh, the Chinese government is doing something rational, is well-planned, is not just came out of the blue. Of course, Jack Ma, including the, the senior management of N Financial, already know about it. I think the biggest reason is because the Chinese government doesn't want Ant Financial, which the naming of the company sounds like a financial company. But in reality, a lot of the rules and regulations and laws are not applied to them because they categorize themselves as a, as a tech company. The Chinese government wants to apply you know, those laws and regulations to Ant Financial as a financial institution. The purpose for that are two. I think one is to protect the, the people. If Ant Financial you know, has a 
about a billion users, right? They, they, the government doesn't really want the users to be impacted negatively by some of the practices they do. The second purpose is obviously the government have one has more control over the huge, huge corporations uh, that's emerging in China, the tech industries, in the financial industry. So I think that's completely understandable. That's reasonable. That's good in a way, you know, in, for a long term. Just that as, you know, U.S. and European countries are evaluating the monopolies of the GAFA companies, right? So I think Chinese government is doing the same for huge companies like Alibaba or Tencent or Meituan. It's all the same sort of movement. Following on that theme, you know, more recently, the president of the United States has issued an order restricting payments on Alipay and WeChat Pay. And those are the two most famous financial payment apps in the U.S., what do you think is going to be the impact of that decision? You talked about those restrictions in China. This new development in the U.S. applying to Alipay and WeChat Pay, what do you think that impact is going to be? There's no really surprise to me because there's been a war between U.S. and China. It started as a, as a trade war, but now it becomes a tech war and economic war, a currency war. And this war is not going to last. It's not going to finish anytime soon. So I think it's going to be at least a 10-year war. And the Chinese government is prepared for it. And so is the U.S. government. This is just a part of the war. And the U.S. government has announced restriction against WeChat Pay, you know, of course, the ByteDance, TikTok. And they just announced the delisting of the three telecom companies. China out of the, the New York Stock Exchange. So all these are, I would say, the little movements in the big long-term movement. So it's, uh, it's not a surprise to me. In terms of the impact, just in terms of economic numbers, the impact is going to be limited because just thinking about the number of tourists from China to tra that travel to the United States, the numbers are limited and there's some spending, but it's still limited to the scale of what the real market is, is in China. The short-term impact on their financials, on their bottom line, is going to be very, very small. But I think the, the real long-term impact of this restriction is just along with all the restrictions. And there's many to come between U.S. and China in the next, I would say, at least five to 10 years. Lou, you're based in Japan. You know, we've been talking about this tech trade war, which has been escalating. And China is the second largest economy in the world. The U.S. is the largest economy in the world. And stuck in between is the third largest economy in the world, which is <laughs> Japan, which is where you are based. And you know, Japan is really unique because the government there has been really pushing Japanese consumers and merchants to adopt cashless money. And there's been influence of China in that. There's also been influence from the U.S. in that. But in 2020, that all really started to take off. And the question is, once the pandemic stops, do you think Japanese consumers are going to go back to using cash in 2021? Or are they going to continue this rapid adoption of cashless society and e-money? Well, the answer to that is no. I don't think the Japanese people are going to go back to use traditional cash compared to digital payments, which is not only promoted by the government, but also by the many, many companies that's behind these e-wallets and all these services. There are a couple of data points that just announced around the new years. One is from the government and then the other is from a research institute that shows that for the first time, the usage rate of QR code payment in Japan has passed 50% all generation. But if you took a look at the details of samples, that are people in the age of 20s and 30s, actually they're using QR code payment more than 60% in their daily usage. The QR code payment among other digital payments is the most rapid growing payment method in Japan. And government is actually clearly playing a huge role in, in this pandemic, right? 
Chinese government just started issuing and, and circulating the digital RMB, whereas the Japanese government is not sitting and waiting anymore. So uh, I see a lot of talk and debate about the Japanese digital yen. So I think this is going to happen sometime really, really soon. And when that happens, basically the only way to use the digital currencies are going to be the e-wallets in their phones. So convenience is a really big reason why Japanese consumers and really consumers right across Asia and around the world are adopting e-payments, e-commerce, mobile wallets at a faster rate than ever before. One of the key drivers of convenience is cashback offers, and these often link to mobile credit cards and mobile wallets. It's typically a way to get people to use it for the first time because they know they'll get cash back on their first purchase in the mobile wallet. Platforms in Japan like PayPay and Rakuten have them, and they've been very successful in the U.S. Google Pay, Apple Pay, they have cashback offers. Are we going to see cashback offers adopted by the large credit card issuers in Japan in the same way that the big tech platforms have already done it? Just from a user point of view, I'm holding many, many credit cards. I haven't really seen the major credit card companies doing heavy cashback offer campaigns. And, and I think most credit card companies, they use points to promote the usage of their cards. That's kind of common. But in terms of the really aggressive campaign like PayPay or Rakuten Pay did, giving off you know, all this cash, you know, 10% off, 5% off, I haven't really seen traditional credit card companies doing this kind of practice. Could explain one of the reasons why we're seeing such a higher adoption rate among the pay pays and the Rakuten pays of the world because they are using that technology and the large credit card issuers are not. Let me switch topic and ask about the future for Japanese credit card issuers. Some of the biggest earning merchant categories with the highest MDR, merchant discount rate, have been travel and restaurants. And those are the big earners for the credit card issuers, and they're the ones who've been hit hardest by the pandemic. Also, we had the Olympics postponed, and that was supposed to bring a lot of people to Japan. What is your forecast for the Japanese card issuers and their payments businesses in 2021? It seems like they're facing a lot of competition from new technologies, and at the same time, their core merchants, where they were earning the big fees, a lot of those guys have been hit really hard. So what happens next for Japanese card issuers in 2021? I think they're going to be hurt a lot, not only 2021, but I don't think they're going to have a bright future. I think the competition is going to drive the NBR lower and lower. Of course, short term, I think, you know, in the next one or two years before the full recovery from the pandemic, all the retailers, all the offline merchants are going to be hurt a lot due to the restrictions. Although the online economy is booming, but general, the economy is declining. So I think the short term, you know, everybody's going to be hurt in the, in the card industry. But long term, I think they're going to face a huge competition from the e-wallets because because from the user experience point of view, it's much, much easier for e-wallets like PayPay to do promotions and stuff through their app because everything is integrated. It's very hard for traditional credit card companies. They're going to be hugely put in a disadvantage situation against the e-wallets. And looking also forward into 2021 and beyond, TakeMePay has been really successful in becoming a leading payment gateway in Japan. And you support a lot of different payment types. Tell me a little bit about the core capabilities that you have supporting different payment types. And specifically, what do you see as the most promising high growth payment type looking into 2021 and beyond? Okay, so Take Me Pay, we're a only one payment gateway. Our, our vision is really just payment as a platform. 
In the past five years, what we have tried so hard is to increase the number of payment methods on our platform. So, so far, we have about 114 payment methods. So using one QR code, we can transact 114 type of payments for offline and online. And uh, another angle for growth comes from our number of merchants. So both uh, online and offline, we have accumulated more than 30,000 merchants. Our goal is really to make these merchants feel like payment is in the air. It's like disappear. They don't have to worry about it. They don't have to care about it. There's no operational change whatsoever. And they can smoothly accept all kinds of payments from all around the world. One big milestone we just achieved is that we integrated AU Pay, which is by KDDI, one of the four mobile phone carriers that you know also have their own bank and payment systems integrated with Take Me Pay. Our other strategies to add value-added service to the merchants. We also provide accounting services, digital ordering services, reservation services, and CRM services, services that we provide for the merchants to better their operation. In terms of the most promising payment, I would say it's clearly PayPay. The research data in many sources shows that PayPay is clearly the number one winner. 33 million users, and they're also offering a lot of services along with the payment. So just like people use in China with Alipay or WeChat Pay or Meituan Pay, you can do everything, which is a super app now. Well, thank you, Lou. That's very great insight. It's always a pleasure having you on the show. And you've got an amazing background and insight, born in China, educated here in the U.S. at Stanford, and now the CEO, founder of Take Me Pay, one of Japan's leading payment gateways. Thank you so much for being on the show. And we look forward to having you back on in the future. Thank you so much, Silvio. Thank you, Lou. That's Lou Dong, the CEO and founder of Take Me Pay, talking to us from Tokyo, Japan. Coming right up, some closing thoughts on what happens next with fintech regulation and growth. Growing pains. That's what you call it when a person or an industry grows really rapidly and hits some painful bumps along the way. In many ways, that term is very appropriate to describe what's happening to the global fintech sector right now. As fintech matures away from a marginal sideline industry to a mainstream sector used by billions of consumers around the world, it's attracted the attention of political leaders and government regulators all around the world. Now, at first, the reaction of many executives in the industry will be dismay and disdain for new regulations. In some ways, that's understandable. However, it's clear that more regulation is coming. The smartest companies will look at how they can influence regulation to benefit all participants in the industry rather than trying to prevent regulation entirely. Because one thing is sure, both fintech and regulation are here to stay, and both will grow in 2021. For Fintech Friday from the Cardlinks Association, take care of yourself and take care of each other. God bless you. This is Silvio Tabaris signing off.